0: Mr. Chief Justice, distinguished members of the Senate, counsel for the president, my colleagues, uh, the American people who are assembled here today. I think we have our next break scheduled for within the hour and so I find myself in the unenviable position of being the only thing standing between you and our dinner But be not discouraged, because I'm going to try to follow the advice of a former Sunday school teacher of mine, grew up in the Cornerstone Baptist Church in Brooklyn. She said, Jeffries, on the question of public presentations, be brief, be bright, and be gone. And so I'm going to try to do my best. Presidents are required to comply with impeachment subpoenas. This president has completely defied them. That conduct alone is a high crime and misdemeanor. The facts here are not really in dispute. President Trump's defense appears to be I can do whatever I want to do. Only I can fix it. I am the chosen one. Then I have an article, too, where I have the right to do whatever I want as president. Nobody knows the system better than me. which is why I alone can fix it. Somebody had to do it. I am the chosen one. Somebody had to do it. Is that who we are as a democracy? President Trump can't address the substance of our case. He therefore complains about process. But these procedural complaints are baseless excuses, and they do not justify his attempts to hide the truth from Congress and from the American people. The president's arguments fail for four simple reasons. First, the House, not the president, has the sole power of impeachment and the sole power to determine the rules of its proceedings. That's Article I, Section Two, of the Constitution. Second, President Trump's due process argument has no basis in law, no basis in fact, no basis in the Constitution. President Trump may not preemptively deny any and all cooperation to the House, and then assert that the House's procedures are illegitimate because they lack his cooperation. Third, President Trump's claim that he is being treated differently completely lacks merit. Despite what he contends, the House provided President Trump with greater protection than what was given to both President Nixon and President Clinton. The fact that President Trump failed to take advantage of these procedural protections does not mean they did not exist. President Trump is not the first president to complain about House procedures. He won't be the last. He's not the first one to challenge the motives of any investigation or certainly an impeachment inquiry. Such complaints are standard operating procedure from the Article II executive branch. Presidents Johnson, President Nixon, President Clinton had plenty of complaints. But no president, no president, no president has treated such objections as a basis for withholding evidence, let alone categorically defying every single subpoena. None, except Donald John Trump. Finally, the obligation to comply with an impeachment subpoena is unyielding. It does not dissipate, because the president believes House committees should invite different witnesses, give his defenders unfettered subpoena power, or involve his personal lawyers at the deposition stage of the process, when that has never been done. And if a president can defy Congress on such fragile grounds, then it is difficult to imagine why any future president, would ever comply with an impeachment or investigative subpoena again. Now, throughout our history, impeachments have been rare, and the Supreme Court has made clear that it's wary of intruding on matters of impeachment. This, of course, leaves room for inter-branch negotiation, but it does not allow the president to engage in blanket defiance. President Trump's objections are not genuinely rooted in the law. They are not good faith legal arguments. We know that because President Trump said early on he would fight all subpoenas. We know that because he declared the impeachment inquiry illegitimate before it even adopted any procedures. We know that because he has denounced every single effort to investigate him as a witch-hunt. And we know that because he never even claimed executive privilege during the entire impeachment proceeding. President Trump's first excuse for obstructing Congress is his asserted belief that he did nothing wrong. That his July 25th call with President Zelensky was perfect. In the October 8th letter sent by his counsel, President Trump asserted the prerogative to defy all House subpoenas because he has declared his own innocence. As Mr. Cipollone put it, at President Trump's behest, the President did nothing wrong and there is no basis for an impeachment inquiry. He had the White House counsel include this in a formal letter to the House, defying every single subpoena. As we have shown in our discussion of the first article of impeachment, these claims of innocence are baseless, they lack merit. We have provided overwhelming evidence of President Trump's guilt. president cannot lawfully obstruct the House impeachment inquiry because he sees no need to be investigated. One of the most sacred principles of justice is that no man should be the judge in his own case. And yet that is exactly what President Trump has been determined to do. But this is America. He cannot be judge, jury, and executioner. Moreover, the president cannot simply claim innocence and then walk away from a constitutionally mandated process. Even President Nixon did not do that as we have previously established. Congress has a constitutional responsibility to serve as a check and balance on an out-of-control executive branch. Our responsibility is not to this president, it is to the American people. Blanket presidential defiance would bring a swift halt to all congressional oversight of the executive. That principle would have authorized categorical obstruction in the impeachments of President Johnson, President Nixon, and President Clinton. In each of those cases, the House was controlled by a different party than the presidency. And the president attacked those inquiries as partisan. Yet those presidents did not view their concerns with excessive partisanship as a basis for defying every single subpoena. The purpose of an impeachment inquiry is for the House to collect evidence to determine on behalf of the American people whether the president may have committed an impeachable offense because the Constitution vests the House with the sole power of impeachment. A president who serves as the judge of his own innocence is not acting as a president. That's a dictator. That's a despot. That is not democracy. The president also believes it appears that his blanket Obstruction was justified because the House did not expressly adopt a resolution authorizing an impeachment inquiry or properly delegate such investigative powers to its committees. Now, the full House voted in January, in advance of the inquiry, to adopt rules authorizing committees to conduct investigations, issue subpoenas, gather documents, and hear testimony. Beginning in the spring and summer of 2019, evidence came to light that President Trump and his associates might have been seeking the assistance of another foreign government, Ukraine, to influence the upcoming 2020 election. On September 9th, the House investigating committees announced they were launching a joint investigation. They requested records from the White House and the Department of State. This investigation was consistent with all rules approved by the full House. At the same time, evidence emerged that the president may have attempted to cover up his actions and prevent the transmission of a whistleblower complaint to the Intelligence Committee of the Senate and the House. Given the gravity of these allegations and the immediacy of the threat to the next presidential election, the Speaker of the House a constitutional officer, explicitly named in Article 1, announced on September 24th that the House would begin a formal impeachment inquiry. There is nothing in the Constitution, nothing in federal law, nothing in Supreme Court jurisprudence that required a formal vote at the time. The president has put forth fake arguments about process because he cannot defend the substance of these allegations. Following the announcement of the impeachment inquiry, the House investigating committees issued additional requests and then subpoenas for documents and testimony. The committees made clear that this information would be collected as part of the House's impeachment inquiry and shared among committees as well as with the Committee on the Judiciary as appropriate. Then, on October 31st, the full House voted to approve House Resolution 660, which directed the House committees to continue their ongoing investigations as part of the existing inquiry into whether sufficient grounds exist for the House of Representatives to exercise its constitutional power to impeach Donald John Trump. In addition to affirming the ongoing House impeachment inquiry, H.Res. 660 set forth procedures for open hearings in the Intelligence Committee and for additional proceedings in the Judiciary Committee. Every step in this process was fully consistent with the Constitution, the rules of the House, and House precedent. The House's autonomy to structure its own proceedings for an impeachment inquiry is grounded in the Constitution. The president's principal argument to the contrary is that no committee of the House was permitted to investigate any presidential misconduct until the full House acted. As the Federal District Court recently confirmed, the notion that a full House vote is required to authorize an impeachment inquiry has no textual support in the US Constitution or the governing rules of the House. The investigations into misconduct by presidents Andrew Johnson, Nixon, and Clinton all began prior to the House's consideration and approval of a resolution authorizing the investigation. Recently, under Republican control, the Judiciary Committee considered the impeachment of the Commissioner of the Internal Revenue Service, following a referral from another committee and absent a full vote of the House for an impeachment inquiry. There is no merit to President Trump's argument that the full House had to vote. The sequence of events in this particular case largely tracked those in the Nixon proceedings. There, the, the House Judiciary's proceedings began in October of 1973, when resolutions calling for President Nixon's impeachment were introduced in the House and referred to the Judiciary Committee. Over the next several months, the committee investigated the Watergate break-in and cover-up, among other matters using its existing investigatory authority. The committee also hired a special counsel and other attorneys to assist in these efforts. Most importantly, all of this occurred before the House approved a resolution directing the Judiciary Committee to investigate whether grounds to impeach Richard Nixon existed. In this instance, the committees began the investigation with their existing powers, authorized by the full House. That course of events is entirely consistent with the Richard Nixon precedent. It is also common sense. After all, before voting to conduct an impeachment inquiry, the House must ascertain the nature and seriousness of the allegations and the scope of the inquiry that may follow thereafter. President Trump's second excuse also fails. Let's now address the president's so-called due process and fairness arguments. President has phrased some of his complaints in the language of due process. He has complained that the procedures were not fair, even though they reflect prior practice and strike a reasonable balance between presidential involvement on the one hand and the House's obligation to find the truth on the other. Presidents come and presidents go. They have all sharply criticized House procedures. But no president has ever treated those objections as a basis for complete defiance. No president has ever done that. In the context of a House impeachment inquiry, it's fair to say that a president is a suspect, a suspect who may have committed a high crime or misdemeanor. He cannot tell the detectives investigating the possible constitutional crime what they should do in the context of their investigation. In the President's October 8th letter, Mr. Cipollone complains that he was denied the most basic protections demanded by due process under the Constitution and by fundamental fairness, including the right to cross-examine witnesses, to call witnesses, to receive transcripts of testimony, to have access to evidence, and to have counsel president, present. It sounds terrible, but it's not accurate. The president appears to have mistaken the initial phases of the impeachment inquiry for a full-blown trial. The trial phase of the impeachment inquiry is taking place right now. Chairman Peter Rodino of the Judiciary Committee once observed as it relates to the impeachment proceedings against President Nixon, it is not a right but a privilege or a courtesy for the president to participate through counsel. An impeachment inquiry is not a trial, rather it entails a collection and evaluation of facts before the trial occurs. In that respect, the House acts like a grand jury or a prosecutor investigating the evidence to determine whether charges are warranted or not. Federal grand juries and prosecutors do not allow targets of their investigation to coordinate witness testimony. The protections that the president label as due process, label as due process, do not apply here. Because those entitlements that he sought, many of which were actually afforded to him, but those entitlements that he sought would not necessarily be available to any American in a grand jury investigation. Moreover, it should be clear that the House, notwithstanding this framework, has typically provided a level of transparency in impeachment inquiries, particularly as it relates to presidents. In past impeachment inquiries, this has typically meant that the principal evidence relied upon by the House Judiciary Committee is disclosed to the president and to the public, though some evidence in past proceedings has actually remained confidential. The president has typically been given an opportunity to participate in the proceedings at a stage when evidence has been fully gathered and presented to the Judiciary Committee. President Trump was given the chance to do that in this case, but he declined. Presidents have been entitled to present evidence that is relevant to the inquiry and to request that relevant witnesses be called. President Trump was given the chance to do that in the House impeachment inquiry before the Judiciary Committee, but he declined. Under House Resolution 660, President Trump received procedural protections not just equal to but in some instances greater than that afforded to Presidents Nixon and Clinton. So let's be clear, the privileges described in the October 8th letter were in fact offered to President Trump as they had been in prior impeachment inquiries. The President was able to review all evidence relied on by the House investigating committees including evidence that the minority's public report identified as favorable to President Trump. During the Judiciary Committee proceedings, the president had opportunities to present evidence, call witnesses, have counsel present to raise objections, cross-examine witnesses, and respond to the evidence raised against them. As the Rules Committee report, accompanying House Resolution 660 noted, these privileges are commensurate with the inquiry process followed in the cases of Nixon and Clinton. President Trump simply chose not to avail himself of what had been offered. The fact that President Trump declined to take advantage of these protections does not excuse his blanket unconstitutional obstruction. Unlike the Nixon and Clinton impeachments, in this particular instance, the argument that the President has made The argument that he has made as it relates to the investigative process is not analogous. In this case, the House conducted a significant portion of the factual investigation itself because no independent prosecutor was appointed to investigate the allegations of wrongdoing against President Trump. Attorney General William Barr refused to authorize a criminal investigation into the serious allegations of misconduct against the president. They tried to whitewash the whole sordid affair. Left to their own devices, the House investigative committees followed standard best practices for investigations consistent with the law enforcement investigations into Presidents Nixon, and Clinton in advance of their impeachments. The committee's released transcripts of all interviews and depositions conducted during the investigation. During the investigation, more than 100 members of the House participated in the so-called closed door proceedings. More than 100 members of the House, 47 of whom were Republicans, They all had the opportunity to ask questions. They all had the opportunity to ask questions with equal time. The Intelligence Committee held public hearings where 12 of the key witnesses testified, including several requested by the House Republicans. It is important to note that the very same procedures in House Resolution 660 were supported by Acting White House Chief of Staff Mick Mulvaney when he served as a member of the Oversight Committee and by the Secretary of State Mike Pompeo when he served as a member of the Select Committee on Benghazi. tell you in the private interviews, there is never any of what you saw Thursday. It is one hour on the Republican side, one hour on the Democrat side, which is why you're going to see the next two dozen interviews done privately because it is, I mean, look at the other investigations that are being done right now. The, the Lowest Learner investigation that was just announced, was that public or private? If this process was good enough for other presidents. Why isn't it good enough for President Trump? Representative Gowdy finished that statement by saying, the private ones have always produced the best results. The private ones, according to Trey Gowdy, have always produced the best results. President Trump complained that his counsel was not afforded the opportunity to participate during the intel committee's proceedings. But neither President Nixon nor President Clinton were permitted to have counsel participate in the initial fact-gathering stages when they were investigated by special counsel, independent counsel, President Nixon certainly had no attorney present when the prosecutors and grand juries began collecting evidence about Watergate and related matters. President Nixon did not have an attorney president in this distinguished body when the Senate Select Committee on Watergate began interviewing witnesses and holding public hearings. Nor did President Clinton have an attorney present when prosecutors from the Office of Independent Counsel Kenneth Starr deposed witnesses and elicited their testimony before a grand jury. President Trump's attorney could have cross-examined the Intel Committee's counsel during his presentation of evidence before the House Judiciary Committee. That would have functioned as the equivalent opportunity afforded to President Clinton to have his counsel cross-examine Kenneth Starr, which he did at length. President Trump was provided a level of transparency and the opportunity to participate consistent with the highest standards of due process and fairness given to other presidents who found themselves in the midst of an impeachment inquiry. The president, and I'm winding down. The president's next procedural complaint is that it was unconstitutional to exclude agency counsel from participating in congressional depositions. The basis for the rule excluding agency counsel is straightforward. It prevents agency officials who are directly implicated in the abuses Congress is investigating from trying to prevent their own employees from coming forward to tell Congress and the American people the truth. It's common sense. The rule protects the rights of witnesses by allowing them to be accompanied in depositions by personal counsel, a right that was afforded to all of the witnesses who appeared in this matter. Agency attorneys have been excluded from congressional depositions of executive branch officials for decades under both Republicans and Democrats, including Republican Chairman Dan Burton, Republican Chairman Darrell Issa, Republican Chairman Jason Chaffetz, Republican Chairman Trey Gowdy, Republican Chairman Kevin Brady, and Republican Chairman Jeb Henseling, just to name a few. Again, the Constitution provides the House with the sole power of impeachment and the sole authority to determine the rules of its proceedings, which were fair to all involved. Given the Constitution's clarity on this point, The president's argument that he can engage in blanket obstruction is just dead wrong. President Trump also objects that the House minority lacks sufficient subpoena rights. But the subpoena rules that were applied in the Trump impeachment inquiry were put into place by my good friends and colleagues, On the other side of the aisle, House Republicans when they were in the majority. We are playing by the same rules devised by our Republican colleagues. President Nixon did not engage in blanket obstruction. President Clinton did not engage in blanket obstruction. No president of the United States has ever acted this way. Lastly, we should reject President Trump's suggestion that he can conceal all evidence of misconduct based on unspecified confidentiality interests. Those are his exact words, confidentiality interests. But not once in the entire impeachment inquiry Did he ever actually invoke executive privilege? Perhaps that's because executive privilege cannot be invoked to conceal evidence of wrongdoing. Perhaps that's because executive privilege does not permit blanket obstruction that includes blocking documents and witnesses from the entire executive branch. Perhaps President Trump didn't invoke executive privilege because it has never been accepted as a sufficient basis for completely and totally defying all impeachment inquiries and subpoenas. Or perhaps President Trump didn't invoke executive privilege because when President Nixon did so, he lost decisively, unanimously, clearly before the Supreme Court. Whatever the explanation, President Trump never invoked executive privilege, so it is not a credible defense to his obstruction of Congress. President Trump has lastly suggested that his obstruction is justified because his top aides are absolutely immune from being compelled to testify before Congress. Every federal court to consider the so-called doctrine of absolute immunity has rejected it. 2008, a federal court rejected an assertion by the 43rd president of the United States that White House counsel, Harriet Myers, was immune from being compelled to testify noting that the president had failed to point to a single judicial opinion to justify that claim. And on November 25th of last year, another federal judge rejected President Trump's claim of absolute immunity for former White House counsel Don McGahn. The court concluded executive branch officials are not absolutely immune from compulsory congressional process. No matter how many times the executive branch has asserted as much over the years, even if the president expressly directs such officials not to comply. The court added, simply stated, the primary takeaway from the past 200 and 50 some odd years of recorded American history is that presidents are not kings. The president is not a king. President Trump tried to cheat. He got caught. And then he worked hard to cover it up. He must be held accountable for abusing his power. He must be held accountable for obstructing Congress. He must be held accountable for breaking his promise to the American people. My foreign policy will always put the interests of the American people and American security above all else. Has to be first. Has to be. That will be the foundation of every single decision that I will make. What does it mean to put America first? America is a great country, but above all else, I think America is an idea, a precious idea. An idea that has withstood the test of time. An enduring idea. Year after year, decade after decade, century after century, as we continue our long, necessary, and majestic march toward a more perfect union. America is an idea. One person, one vote. Liberty and justice for all. Equal protection under the law. Government of the people, by the people, and for the people. The preeminence of the rule of law. America is an idea. We can either defend that idea, or we can abandon it. God help us all if we choose to abandon it. Majority leader is recognized. Mr. Chief Justice, we'll take a 30-minute break for dinner. Without objection, so ordered.